ultimately what happens like with Spotify and Apple and YouTube or any of the other platforms out there, the majors are going to kind of set the precedent on what the licensing deals look like. That's eventually going to trickle down to the independent Mm -hmm. artists to where they just, they don't get a great deal. (laughs) I mean, they're never going to, they're never really going to see substantial money, even if they're doing millions of streams. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangel. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the second part of my interview with Mac McIntosh. If you are brought on to a project and it's not only for the music licensing, but also for possibly the sound design, finding mm-hmm. the right sound and the right music, how do you go about figuring that out from what you're seeing on a screen or from what you're hearing in the rest of the podcast? I'm just curious what the thought process is there. I, I spend a lot of time talking with the producers, whoever the creators are, uh, really trying to understand you know, what their vision is. Uh, I, I beg and plead for production notes because we, we, we scrutinize yeah. <laughs> the heck out of those uh-huh. or, or sides as a lot of people know them as these days. Uh, you know, re- really just trying to understand what the vision of the project is. And then I go go to the, the professionals, the guys that we partnered with in Nashville and lean heavily on them because they're they're doing the work. I'm, I'm basically a project manager, producer, what, whatever, you know, kind of position you or title you want to give it. Uh, just making sure that my guys have everything they need from a creative perspective to try and shape sound, you know, mix sound and also add to it through sound design. Uh, the interesting thing about the guys I work with, they're also original Foley artists and they have recently started uh, releasing and build, building out and releasing an entire library of original Foley sounds where they're creating these sounds. So, Oh, so, so they, cool. Yeah. It has a whole new element to it. So I'm sure. So that's a, a, a cool option that a lot of the projects we work on have, if that's something that they need. Are they cooking bacon for rain? <laughs> probably, probably. I've, I've seen them out in streams with weird tools on, on uh-huh. social media, making sounds that I did I don't know if it's alien sounds or what, but they're, they're making sounds that, yeah. that mimic something. Wow. But very, very cool, um, interesting concepts that they come up with that, to, you know, kind of create sounds that have nothing to do with what they're actually doing. Well, yeah. I mean, Foley is definitely an art all its own because some of the sounds that people make for movies are sounds we never have ever really heard. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it becomes a pretty big, interesting, creative endeavor to mm-hmm. make something like the roar of a dinosaur or the sound of a <laughs> lightsaber or, you know, like these kinds of things that never existed before those movies came out. <laughs> definitely. definitely. Yeah. Wow. So... Out of curiosity, talking about this this whole Foley thing, um, but also the music, is there a particular project that you've worked on that you felt you had a really, um, you know, meaty, creative hand in that you're really proud of? Yes, I would I would say two uh, in, in kind of two different perspectives. The first one being 
uh, a, a companion podcast to a film that's uh, I'm pretty sure is still streaming on Hulu. The film's called on Hulu. The film's called uh, "The United States versus Billie Holiday." The actual companion podcast is called "Billie Was a Black Woman," and it basically is an interview style podcast uh, that that corresponded, I believe, over five episodes, maybe six. Uh, from a creative perspective, it's probably not the the answer you're thinking of, but creatively, from a music licensing perspective, I had to do a lot. This is one of those three-plus-month efforts to, oh, really, really? to yeah. really clear some of Billie Holiday's most uh, famous music, including Strange Fruit was a song that I that I got a chance to clear for this project. Yeah, yeah. So creatively, I had to do a lot of things that were very untraditional to the music clearance space. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but basically there was a lot, there was a lot of uh, uh, creative conversations that had to take place in order to make certain things happen and prevent certain things from, from happening as well uh, from, from kind of a licensing standpoint. Uh, so, so I'd say it took a lot of effort and kind of coming up with new ways to negotiate as well as, uh, really make sure that we're, we're getting the right deal on the, on the music. And then from the more traditional, uh, creative perspective, I would say just getting to be a part of the kind of project management side to a podcast called the grand scheme, snatching Sinatra. It was created, narrated by uh, John Stamos, and it basically tells the true crime story of the 1963 kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. Oh, and, wow. Okay. And, and oddly enough, interestingly enough, John Stamos, late, later on, many years after this took place, formed a relationship with the kidnapper, and his name is Barry Keenan. This The podcast came about because John really wanted, thought the story needed to be out there, rightfully so. And uh, ultimately he, um, you know, talked to the right, right people and his, and his team, as well as Barry. And they decided they were going to tell the story. It's not about defending the actions by any means, but it's truly kind of telling the story from perspective of what happened. Barry's the, he spent uh, quite a bit of time in prison, obviously for, for what he did. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you find out that while he was still alive, Frank Sinatra Sr. spent a lot of time trying to end Barry's life once he got out of prison. <laughs> it's, so the, it's it's okay, re then. really interesting, true, again, yeah. true crime uh, storytelling that, that happens there. This, mm -hmm. uh, this is all according to Barry. So, so the idea was, you know, the guy pays debt to society. He does his time. He gets out. He avoids death. <laughs> at that point and for quite a few years uh, and, and has turned his life around, you know, and, and really, really it tells the story of where his mind was, me the mental health struggles he was having back then, all the way up to, you know, uh, a more modern time of him, you know, kind of share, sharing his perspective on how it happened and why it happened. But from a creative perspective, I was, I was able to just kind of be involved in all of the back and forth notes between production as well as what my guys were doing and, and really getting to kind of, you know, just immerse myself into uh, those episodes and uh, try to help it along as much as possible from a project management standpoint. 
Yeah. And that's, uh, that's quite the project there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun one. Yeah, it sounds like it. Very interesting, too. I'll definitely have to look for that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Billie Holiday one, too. She's uh, definitely one of my favorite singers. So, yeah, definitely. I, I always appreciated her music. So from a musician's point of view, if they wanted to be able to make money from music licensing, what would you suggest they do? Specifically with musicians, I would, I would yeah. say definitely try to own as much of your publishing as possible. That's, mm -hmm. that's step one. Uh, it's not easy to do, especially early on. You, you have mm -hmm. to find ways to get your music into, uh, you know, different projects and whether that's film, whether that's, you know, web, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but try to maintain the publishing as much as possible, but also spend a lot of time focusing on trying to get syncs, trying to do, uh, especially I'd say commercial syncs early on would, would be a good effort because a lot of the, a lot of the libraries that are out there now that, you know, allow that essentially shop, mm -hmm. you know, independent music to brands for commercial use is, is a fairly easy entry uh, level opportunity sure. for, for just about any musician, but you have to be willing to, uh, similar to the, the days of jingle writing, which I mean, not that that's went away, but that used to be a very prominent thing for musicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you have to be willing to write to the project, you know, write to a commercial level uh, in order to, you know, really get a lot of uh, opportunities. And nowadays that, you know, it, that, that goes through its phases like music itself. You know, you, right now it's it's very much a hip hop and pop kind of opportunity in in the commercial space as well as most most of the film and series space. Uh, you know that can easily change within uh, a year or two. You know, we could we could start seeing a little bit more. Of, I, I hope, actually, hope we see more rock opportunities coming up because that's that's not been something that anyone seems to be interested in over the past few years, unfortunately. I know that we're all dealing with a lot these days, so I really wanted to acknowledge those that have gone out of their way to leave an honest review of this podcast. Like Gregory, who writes, More. There is more to branding and marketing. Thanks to Audio Branding for introducing me to the world of audio and sound. Love it. Thanks, Gregory. I appreciate the listen and the kind words. And for those of you that are interested, you can also leave a voice review now off of the main podcast page. It's super simple and fun, and I'd love to hear what you think. Now back to the show. I wonder if that has something to do with the, with the, the way that the music sort of takes over. When you're talking about like rock music, it definitely has its own flavor and nothing against it at all. I love it myself, sure. but it can be a little distracting depending on what it's being used for. Yeah, so, de definitely. I, yeah. I think, I think back to, we were talking about the two thousands, the early two thousands, some of those films that were coming out, especially the action ones. If you think, I don't know why this, I guess because it's October and we're near Halloween. But if you think, <laughs> if you think about like the blade series with Wesley Snipes, Oh yeah. 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 There was a lot of heavy kind of, uh, mm -hmm. uh, What's what's the genre I'm trying to think of? Uh, industrial rock. Oh that, yeah, that, that went on in in a lot of those films. So that genre of film, that genre of music, they work really well together. Yeah, uh, The Matrix would be another good one. You know, there was a ver very much an EDM and rock kind of early EDM and rock crossover in, sure. in those soundtracks. 
Well, they're coming out with the fourth one now, right. so who exactly. knows what they got for the music. <laughs> and, that's, yeah. and that that was kind of my idea behind who knows what will happen within the next year, you know, the types of films. As we're going through these reboots, we've, you know, reboot phase of the film industry and the series industry, we've seen a lot of uh, 80s inspired films and, and series come back to to, you know, popular yeah. demand everything old is new again <laughs> right right stranger yeah. stranger things i think probably mm-hmm. single-handedly brought back an 80s renaissance to another level it was already there 80s music. well that in the mcu <laughs> yes yes that as well that, guardians that's, that's of the true. galaxy that's that that true. helped a lot <laughs> that's very true and so oh so here you know kind of hearing this 80s music wave come back through at the granted it was already there but i think it certainly helped boost it a lot yeah. Um, in commercial music also for, you know, music for commercials and, and such, I, you know, I, I always kind of wonder if a company paying for the licensing on a particular piece of music is doing themselves a disservice. And the reason that I say this is because if they lose that licensing, then suddenly they've lost all that intellectual property that has been associated with their brand and it becomes someone else's. Right. So, or if that artist does something they don't like, then that's associated with their brand, right? That's that's true. Yeah, definitely. I, I it's it's a little bit of a risky run. I think you know there are def- certainly safeguards in there that you can uh, you know always. I, th- I think a lot of times it's why we see the more safe commercial pop music used for a lot of campaigns. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you'll you'll another kind of sidestep to that not only makes the the licensing more affordable but it kind of safeguards reputation from if that artist were to do something that doesn't agree with Mm -hmm. the brand is having an independent artist or an unknown artist cover a version of that song yes makes it i have heard that a lot and and, and you hear it a lot you know on television Mm -hmm. especially with commercials Uh, and some and a lot of people nowadays on the internet will complain about you know how they butchered the song where it doesn't sound uh-huh. you know they don't like the version basically just because you're not supposed to try and uh, you know cover a Rolling Stone song where you're not supposed to uh, cover a Led Zeppelin sacrosanct song. Yeah, or 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 the, <laughs> yeah. or, or the 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 ultimate sacrilege would be covering a Beatles song. You know yes, I, mean? I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's that in itself, I think, is some of the safeguards you can put in place. But at the end of the day, if the brand is, you know, if, if, if the concept and the branding calls for a certain big, massive, huge hit mm-hmm. uh, from the past, uh, they're, they're, they're willing to do it because they can cut the right deal to where they don't have to pay so much up front, basically, and they will, on the back end, allow publishing to take something from the actual campaign. Uh, so, so there are ways that they can, you know, they can go get those Beatles songs or whatever songs they're after mm-hmm. for a reasonable amount up front. It's still extremely beneficial to publishing on the long run. And never mind the, the amount of uh, done correctly right at it, right ad agency, right brand, you know, right campaign. Sure. They can make a ton of money off of those things. So it's a, you know. Win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way for artists to make some actual coin, which mm-hmm. they need. <laughs> and I, it's a great opportunity for independence. I don't personally know any independent artists that have done some of those larger campaigns 
Well, I take that back. I do know one that was based here in Dallas. I don't know him well, but I, I know of him. He's from the Dallas mm-hmm. area. His name is Leon Bridges. He's very, very well known uh, here in this part of the country as, as well as uh, most of the U.S. But he did some early, I think he did some stuff with, uh, I can't remember the brand. I want to say it was Apple where he did a cover. But kind of his approach to his career from the start was mm-hmm. taking a very retro R&B approach to his music that that's him as an artist so he sure even if he's covering a song or it's a brand new song that he wrote it's it's going to sound like an, a certain era so so that that was just a really good fit and i think from a brand perspective wanting to work with an artist like that is smart because you're kind of traveling back in time a little bit it, you know he dresses the part i mean every everything about his <laughs> early that's fantastic brand development yeah. as an artist uh-huh. fit like purposely only took black and white photos. And somehow he was always in front of a 57 Chevy when he took the photo. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was, it was. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it was great marketing, great branding early on. And never mind, yeah. he's an extremely talented artist and great songwriter, great singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. And especially knowing yourself that well that early. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good sign. Absolutely. <laughs> Where do you see this going in the future? All of this digital rights, um, you know, where where do you see music being used more maybe in the in the future for productions? I, I definitely think the video game space is still kind of developing. There's going to be a lot more there. Uh, That's not, a good not, point, yeah. Not even traditional licensing. I think the evolution of that looks like live performances that we've seen a little bit of within some of the larger online uh, peer-to-peer games like uh, nowadays Fortnite or anything Epic's doing. Uh, you and I had a, you and I had a conversation on Clubhouse recently where you mentioned uh, Second Life. That was kind of an yes. early adoption of that concept. So I knew a few musicians who had uh, concerts at a specific time that people could attend on Second Life. So yeah, absolutely. That's I th- pretty interesting. I think that's that's one area that we're going to see more of. I also think that. Film itself, and, and especially some of the more popular series that we see on Netflix or Hulu or some of the streaming platforms, I think we're going to see more of independent uh, approach to music, original ideas, basically where these artists, these independent artists are either hired or their catalog is licensed for a longer term. Because right now, the way the Netflix and Hulus of the world are doing a lot of their licensing is uh, it's, it's upfront beneficial to these artists. Uh, not so much the longer term deals that, that you've seen with television over the years. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's definitely something that artists can benefit from right away. It's an immediate payoff for them. Uh, and never mind from a promotion and marketing standpoint, it's a big win. So for a lot of artists, it makes sense for some artists. They're, they're not interested in, you know, things that don't, kind of last over a certain amount of time as far as, uh, you know, revenue potential. But many artists are because they they realize that you live and die by the single nowadays. So if that single ends up in that series, does really well by any means of it, you know, just being a part of the show in the background or even sure. even better, becoming kind of a theme to at least that episode, if not that series, uh, or even be in the end credits, you know, it's the last thing you hear before the film ends, you know, I mean, it's, it can, yeah. do, it can do a lot for 
for uh, an artist's career, but more importantly, they get paid up front because, I mean, at the end of the day, artists are... That's nice. Yes, artists are at the point where they're basically hustling on a daily basis trying to figure out how to maintain career, uh, you know, at the same time, most of them have to have a full-time job to go along with that to, to really survive. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to make a living, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, I know that some artists are using TikTok, actually, because yes. they get their music onto TikTok and then people start using them in videos and it explodes. Yes. <laughs> so there's always that, too. Yeah. From a discovery standpoint, TikTok's an amazing platform from a fairness to artists, especially on the independent side. Not so much. Yeah. They're, work they're just now starting to make, you know, more substantial deals with the labels. More Just recently, I've seen... Uh, press releases where they've done deals with Universal and I believe Warner, maybe. Okay. Uh, so good to know they're thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's great for those artists that Warner mm -hmm. and Universal work with, but still on the independent yeah. level, everyone else. Yes, ultimately, what happens, like with Spotify and Apple and YouTube or any of the other platforms out there, the majors are going to kind of set the precedent on what the licensing deals look like. That's eventually going to tri trickle down to independent mm -hmm. artists to where they just they don't get a great deal <laughs> i mean they're never gonna they're never really gonna see substantial money even if they're doing millions of streams uh that's tough yeah yeah it is it really is so you know kind of going back to your question about how to how you know any advice to a musician regarding their music also to the artist is you know especially if you own the music you're the writer uh, try to own that as well as much as you can. I know, I know that's really easy to say and really difficult to do, but if you can ever get yeah. to the point to where <laughs> you've got a small fan base, try to build everything out of your own website if you can. Mm -hmm. And 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 try try to go hard with the merch. And, and once we're back full-time with live, and that's an easier thing to accomplish, unlike right now, you know, obviously pedal to the metal on the live side. Try to get every live show you can. looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio dash branding dash strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website, and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, it's tough for independent musicians. I really feel for them, Definitely. especially now. You know, I feel for any creative endeavor these days because no one wants to pay anything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's really hard. I, yeah. I, I, I watched an interview with a CEO uh, just a few days ago. Actually, I know exactly who it was. So I was trying to rack my brain. It's it's uh, the guy they call Mr. Wonderful from the Shark Tank. He's he's a well-known investor. Um, he's kind of known as okay. the bad guy on the show. Uh, okay. But, but very smart businessman. He basically said three to five years ago, 
any type of creative work, it was all freelance and he was paying as little as possible, if nothing, just giving them the opportunities to do the work and get the credit. He said this year alone, one of his companies has already spent like 120 million in paying creatives. Wow. So that's, he said, it's a huge difference. He said he would, nowadays he would much rather, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but nowadays he would much rather hire a creative at 120 to $140,000 a year to be full time and not have to worry about losing them to competition than he would taking the risk of not being willing to pay them. And maybe they do one thing and then they disappear. That's actually a really good point. Mm -hmm. And and specifically because um, if you're trying to convince companies, for instance, to invest in a audio brand, mm -hmm. then the idea behind that is basically they're paying someone a full-time wage for a year so that they own all of those assets. Yes. And people are creating more and more assets as the years go by because you have to be on all of these different platforms. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly creating content. And if you have to license a piece of music every time you're going to put something on a new piece of content and you're making you know, 20 in a month, as opposed to the five you used to make, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a lot more money. Absolutely. So you may as well own those assets. You may as well invest in those assets to start with. And then you have a library to choose from that you're not constantly repaying for, you know, like that. It just, it makes more sense, especially to larger companies that would be really making an investment. Uh, it's just. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, you, you just reminded me that I've had at least five conversations in the last three months trying, you know, basically explaining and trying to convince uh, not only filmmakers, but also businesses. I think two are businesses, three are filmmakers. It's better to do a made for hire or paid for hire deal with an artist where you pay them directly to create an original piece of music for you and you own it. You own the publishing, you own the master rights to it for you know, to perpetuity versus licensing something that you're not real sure if it's a good fit or not, you know, or you're not, you're not sure, you know, how good of a licensing deal you can get if it's three years, if it's five years, anyway, you slice it, it's going to run out. And even if you've got options built in, you're going to have to spend more money. Uh, but then, then on the upside that I, that I also try to help them understand is if once you own a piece of music, there's an opportunity there for a new revenue stream. If you if you have whether it's one song, five songs or 20 songs, you have then have, you know, a catalog and an asset that you can also uh, if you spend spend a little bit of time or bring someone in who knows how license, relicense that yourself and, and create a revenue stream. Uh, you have to become a little bit of a music publisher uh, role. But again, that's something you can if 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 the music is you know, valuable enough if from an asset standpoint, you could certainly turn could it you in. split that with the music, the musician. I'm just curious because like, you know, as a, as a voice actor, for mm -hmm. instance, I don't like giving things out in perpetuity. Sure. I, you know, I don't, I don't usually do well, that. The kind, of, kind of the made for hire <laughs> approach is basically yeah. the company's coming to you and saying, I, <clears throat> I want you to create this new piece of music for me. Now, yeah. understand that the, 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 the person that's hiring you to do that 
<clears throat> what they're what they're getting is 100% of the publishing and 100% of the master recording rights. Yeah. The songwriter still keeps 100% of the songwriter royalty. That never goes away. And I, I always I see. Okay. I always try to explain. You know, in music musicians nowadays and songwriters know that not to give away their songwriters' rights. I mean, that yeah. just makes no sense. So they'd still be getting something yes. even yes. if it was a work for hire. Yes, and then I would okay. I would. You know, then if if I was advising a musician or, or talking to a songwriter, I'd say, hey, one idea would if a company approaches you about this and they really like your music or they like your style of writing, uh, offer to lower the overall price if they'll split the publishing with you, because then you get a fifty percent of the publishing. Yes. Uh, so that's that's kind of the if I'm working directly with a songwriter and trying to help them get something. Uh, which I've done a few times in the past. That's always some of the advice I give. Hey, let's get the pr- the overall price down. Let's do it for less up front. Get fifty percent of the publishing. If it looks like a good campaign, like a strong potential campaign, what whatever it's going into, whether it's a film or a commercial or whatever the case may be, because the payoff in the other end is going to be a lot more substantial than maybe the few hundred dollars to a thousand dollars that you gave them a discount on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just I I don't like to see or hear of the musicians being taken advantage no, of. <laughs> no, no. It, it, yeah. The interesting thing is the you know the upfront money is nice. The kind of that sync fee that you get. Uh, sure. Uh, but from a you know made for hire. Oh, licensing is where it is. Yes, yeah. yes. And the made for hire, you know, idea is especially with some of the larger streamers. They they just want to be able to get in and get out and not owe anything on the other end. And, mm-hmm. and they're they're not responsible for anything other than the the songwriter royalty, but that's something that they pay out annually to the orgs like uh, BMI. Yeah, ASCAP. they'd have to. So yeah, that's yeah. that's not, that's not anything they can avoid. So that's always going to be there. Uh, sure. And, and they don't, but if they can pay an, you know an artist up front or a songwriter up front, it's just a lot easier for them. Which I understand that concept, but at the same time, there's always room for negotiation. That's why I try to get artists to say, "Hey, I can make this a lot more affordable for you, and you still get it." You know, uh, f- for the life of the song, you just have to uh, cut me in on the publishing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, yeah, I guess we're we're coming to the end of this conversation, which I have really enjoyed, and I've learned a ton myself, actually. So, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. That's great. Um, I wanted to ask you how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your business and and about Music Clerk and all of that sort of thing. Absolutely. Just check us out at musicclerk.com. It's uh, M-U-S-I-C-L-E-R-K.com. Only one C, in other words, in Music Clerk. Uh, And all our information is there. I'm also on socials. in some form or another as Mac Macintosh. And that's a uh, nickname combined with the last name. We won't talk about the real <laughs> okay. names. We're going to stay anonymous. I don't know okay, why then. we just are. <laughs> okay. Everyone knows me as Mac. And if you call me by my first name, sometimes I don't even look up. So. Okay. Well, there you go then. Okay. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I really appreciate your taking the time to do this. Thank you, Jody. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. Until next time.